Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Bye. 
Zigaretten sich jeden zum Schabesfreude. mit Schabesfreude. Hier der Inner will seine Heilig in dem Schabesfreude. Hier der Inner will auch Heilig in dem Schabesfreude. Ich 
aber alle haben schon gewusst. Ach, dann ist die Farto, hat der gegeben zu die jeden Assel. Schneller Walle, was der Kreu, wir nehmen dem Keuschelscheu. Wir nehmen dir die ganze Geld, kauft alles, was dir gefällt. Die beste Fisch soll sein, größt und fett und frisch. Genommen hat, da Regen zu gießen. 
Essen putzen und gefangen, nun hast du dem alles gebrochen, die Hut und Kopf abgerissen. Wir hackt dort das der Wind, in die Jammer reingeschmitzt, die Geschwind. Und der Goi ist von Klemme, reingesprungen, haben wir Gekommen ist ein Fisch, gegeben dem Wasser am Misch. Verschlungen dem Hut in den Bauch und ein Röntgen in der Heu. Fischer auf mir der Tag und in Netze reingehackt. Und freitig vernacht hat man dem Fisch heute ein Brö gebracht. Man sucht alle mit dort und dort, kein Koine ist nicht tot. Heißt, man sagt zu gehen, zu Josef und Geschabes allein. Sagt er, wie Josef, ach, sie sagt schon, man jeden kann Koine ja schon nicht tot. Sagt er jeden, sagt nicht tot, ich hab noch erledigt den Tod.
Oh, Yerushalayim, 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 oh, Yerushalayim,
כמה יש מדרגה לכל יסוד יש הוויה ובכל שיר יש נשמה I wanna be free, but I feel locked down. I was trying to be me, but I can't find how. You are my compass, directing me closer. Crying my eyes, I'm getting to know you. I'm your beloved, so hug me, I'm running to you. Your majesty grabbed me, I'm ready to move. Together we scream. You are my king. Oh, <laughs> 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, all. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos, in our New Jersey studio today with a big thank you to Mayor Fertig for sitting in yesterday and a mazel tov to Mark Zamek on the 300th episode of the Erev Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Again, thanks to Mayor for sitting in and uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Much appreciated, to say the least. Naftali Kempo with Lachado D. Atahu Amelach, that's uh, Nisim Black and God Elbaz together. Ari Hill with OU Shalayim. Ain Odmil Vado, Mordechai Shapiro. Before that, Mordechai Shapiro's brand new Ani Yehudi remix. Avremel had quite a run. Yosef Moker Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh, and Mayen Olam Haba. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday, JM and the AM, for a Friday morning on this, on this August the 11th, day number 24 in the month of Menachem Av. The year is 5783, Tufshin Pei Gimel. It's Arab Shabbos Parsh Re'eh, candle lighting in New York, 739. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, make sure you know when things start where you are, 739, candle lighting in uh, New York. Uh, it is uh, Shabbos Mavarachim. We will bench Rosh Chodesh Elul tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Elul is Thursday and Friday. Rosh Chodesh Elul is Thursday and Friday. Uh, and that'll be next week, which means, because I'm not here next Friday, I'll be with Nefesh Benefesh. So I've got, I think Mayor Fertig is in next Friday. We've got to make sure that the uh, chauffeur, that the chauffeur is all set for Friday morning, the second day of Rosh Chodesh, the first day 
of the month of Elul. Um, yeah, better make sure about that. This coming Monday, many people will be finishing Maseches Gittin uh, in the study of Daf Yomi, one page per day, uh, one folio per day Talmud study. So we wish a mazal tov to those who are completing Gittin on Monday. Tuesday is the start of Maseches Kedushin. We'll say Hatzlacha Rabbah to those who are going to be pursuing Maseches Kedushin. And the uh, daily study of the Talmud, which uh, so many of our listeners do, um, to be admired, to say the least. It's a Friday. You know what that means. Harry Rothenberg in hour number two, or by Uden in hour number three. Malcolm Holmline coming up at 7.40 a.m. Eastern time with the weekly update. We'll explore some of the things that have happened over the last couple of weeks in the Jewish world. Uh, and it's a Friday, so, you know, hey, it's a Friday. <laughs> and I thank, I thank all of you for tuning in. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show, 10 a.m. Eastern time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's coming up here at the Nahum Single Network. Plus, of course, the Arab Shabbos Music Mix all day long, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Of course, the final hour, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That'll begin about 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and what else can I say? Just a lot going on. Matis with JM Sunday coming up Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. I thank him. Avrami, I thank him as well. Tomorrow night with Ari Eliezer's Wickler, they'll present the uh, Saturday Night Seagull program here on NSN. So there is a lot going on. Plenty of great weekend programming. And, of course, next week, for us, it's an amazing week. Monday and Tuesday, we're here in the United States. Then we head to Israel with Nefesh Benefesh. Wednesday morning's program will be the series of interviews and the incredible and wonderful journey that I get to be part of again when hundreds of Olim move to Israel, literally on a charter flight. That'll be happening on uh, on Wednesday morning, starting at 6 a.m. You'll hear that show. Then Thursday, I believe Avrami is sitting in, if I'm not mistaken. And then Friday, as I said, I believe Mayor Fertig is sitting in. And I'm back uh, before Shabbos uh, here on this side of the world. So our weekly update today and then two weeks from today, uh, for the month of August, and uh, looking forward to um, what so many people consider the best show of the year, <laughs> which is the show that we dedicate to speaking with Olim as they are moving to Israel, literally as they are moving to Israel. If you want to make sure to be tuned in, that's Wednesday, this coming Wednesday between 6 and 9 a.m. J.M. in the A.M., Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It is Shabbos Mavarchim. As we said, Rosh Chodesh Elul is on the way. Rosh Chodesh Elul is going to be Thursday and Friday. We're getting to a very serious time of year. <laughs> That's an understatement. And um, we, of course, will be here. Bezrat Hashem, please God. For Elul, uh, our Elul Chesed campaign, which we're going to kick off right away, right when I get back. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, a really cool, amazing, and incredible period of time. The older you get, the more you realize just how incredible a period of time it is once you start Rosh Chodesh Elul. More coming up. It's Friday. It's Erev Shabbos. It's JM in the AM. Did he die, he died, 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 he died
with the Werdiger family, a couple of different versions of Kel Adon, the Kinderlach had Bamarom, you heard Kishoshana, Eitan Katz, and Avsholom Katz together, a recent release, and the Elul Nigun, we did in honor of Chodesh Elul, that's from Eitan Katz, and of course, uh, the month of Elul officially begins Thursday night, but it's actually going to be a two-day Rosh Chodesh, Thursday and Friday, so Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, two-day Rosh Chodesh Elul coming up, we'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, of course, a reminder from JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world of web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Uh, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN NachumSingle Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Why wouldn't you uh, let us know where you are and what you want to hear? Galit Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. We say Boker Toe from JM in the AM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, שלום רב, באולפן ערן קורצים, מה שקורה עכשיו. גבר בן 47 במצב קשה, לאחר שנפגע מפיצוץ במכוניתו ברחוב הפשוש ברמלה. כתבתנו עדה שטייף מוסרת שחובשים ופרמדיקים של מגן דוד אדום, פינו אותו לבית החולים שמיר אסף הרופא, כשהוא בהכרה וסובל מחבלות בגפיים, המשטרה פתחה בחקירה. 
ניסיון פיגוע הירי בצפון השומרון, סמוך לכפר יעבד. על פי גורמי צבא הירי אל עבר העמדה הצבאית בוצע ממרחק רב של 900 מטרים. לוחמי סיירת גולני שהיו בעמדה הגיבו בירי, אין נפגעים לכוחותינו ולא נגרם נזק. לאחר סריקות הותרו בשטח פלסטיני כ-52 קליעים. כוחות צה"ל פתחו במרדף אחר החשודים. ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. יועצת של חבר הכנסת צבי סוכות הגישה תלונה במשטרה לאחר שלטענתה הותקפה ונדרסה אמש על ידי מפגין רוכב אופניים בכיכר הבימה. התקיפה קרתה בעת שחבר הכנסת סוכות הגיע לכיכר במטרה לקיים מפגש הידברות עם מתנגדי הממשלה. עם הגעתם למקום חיכו לסוכות עשרות מפגינים שצעקו לעברו קריאות גנאי. על פי התלונה בשיאו של האירוע, היועצת הפרלמנטרית של חבר הכנסת סוכות הותקפה על ידי רוכב אופניים שדרס אותה פעמיים ואף ירק וקילל אותה. חבר הכנסת סוכות אמר כי הוא מצפה ממשטרת ישראל לעצור את התוקף ולהעמידו לדין. הייתה בת תשע במצב קשה לאחר שהתחשמלה בפזורה הבדואית סמוך לערד בנסיבות הנבדקות עתה. כתבנו בדרום רמי שני מוסר שצוות מגן דוד אדום העביר אותה למרכז הרפואי סורוקה בבאר שבע והיא כעת מורדמת ומונשמת במחלקה לטיפול נמרץ ילדים. גבר ואישה בשנות ה-20 לחייהם נפצעו קל עד בינוני לאחר שרכבם החל לעלות באש במהלך נסיעה בכביש 65 סמוך למחלף נטופה. צוות מגן דוד אדום פינה אותם לבית החולים פוריה בטבריה כשהם סובלים מכוויות. כתבנו בצפון הדר גיציס מציין שהסיבה לדלקה היא ככל הנראה תקלה ברכב. מנכ"ל משרד האנרגיה והתשתיות קובי בליטשטיין ערך היום דיון הערכת מצב לקראת מזג האוויר הקיצוני וגל השרב הצפוי ממחר ועד שני בערב. כתבנו ישראל פישר מוסר שבדיון הציגו אנשי חברת נוגה את תוכנית ההפעלה והיערכות משק החשמל על מנת להימנע מתקלות באספקת החשמל כפי שהיו בתחילת חודש יוני. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר, ממחר תחול עלייה ניכרת בטמפרטורות, בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ יתפתחו תנאי שרב, ברוב אזורי הארץ ישררו עומסי חום כבדים עד קיצוניים. אלה החדשות.
לפעמים יש רגעים שיש הסתר פנים, אתה מרגיש פתאום בלי אף אחד. אבל תזכור יש אלוקים שנמצא תמיד בפנים, אתה אף פעם לא לבד. תהיה חזק תאמין בו, לעד הוא אוהב אותך. ואל תבחר כי הוא המיוחד, הוא תמיד איתך. אלוקים אבא טוב, אותך רוצה רק לאהוב, הוא תמיד לך דואג, ונותן מכל הלב. ויש בי אמונה לא מאבדת התקווה, שכלום זה לא מקרה, הכל לטובה. אלוקים אבא טוב, אותך רוצה רק לאהוב, הוא תמיד לך דואג, ונותן מכל הלב. ויש בי אמונה לא מאבדת התקווה, שכלום זה לא מקרה, הכל לטובה. יש לך מילים, דבר עם אלוקים, הוא בכל מצב לך מקשיב. הכל זה השגחה פרטית, הצלחה היא לא מקרית, הוא בך תמיד מביא. תהיה חזק תאמין בו, לעד הוא אוהב אותך. ואל תבחר כי הוא המיוחד, הוא תמיד איתך. אלוקים אבא טוב, אותך רוצה רק לאהוב, הוא תמיד לך דואג, ונותן מכל הלב. ויש בי אמונה לא מאבדת התקווה, שכלום זה לא מקרה, הכל לטובה. 
Jam in the AM with Aaron Holder and Ain't No Bishel and a Cleesh Leashy is done on the Yes Legacy album. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, done again on Journeys 5, yeah. Um, recently. Chaim Avital with Akola Tova. You heard Bayesi Bunned done by uh, Ephraim Mendelssohn. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday. Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline coming up. That'll be at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with a weekly update. Uh, what else do I want to tell everybody? Well, Bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Elo will be Thursday and Friday. 7.39 official candle lighting time in New York. 7.39 Many synagogues begin early. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Also, make sure you know when things start where you are in general, because New York is 739. I'm sure there are uh, places around the world that um, I would I would assume at this point have a variety of candlelighting times. Yeah. Every city's different for those of you unfamiliar with how it works. And that is the story. JM and the AM, Friday morning, era of Shabbos. Harry Rothenberg gives us an opportunity to get his perspective on the weekly Parsha in hour number two every single Friday. This week, of course, Parsha's Re'eh. Harry Rothenberg's words are uh, presented in honor of a Rafur Shlema for Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. And if you would keep her in mind, with Misha Berach's over Shabbos, and of course with um, prayers and Misha Berach's during the week, that'll be much appreciated. Ruchama, Chana, Etel, Bas, Chava. Harry Rothenberg, Friday morning, JM in the AM. In the middle of the Parsha, Moshe reviews the kosher laws of the Jewish people. And the very last law, he tells us that we can't cook a young animal in the milk of its mother. It's the prohibition against eating milk and meat together. The very next section, involves Moshe reminding the Jewish people as to the obligation to tithe. Farmers have to take a portion of their crops and give it to the poor and to the Kohen and to the Levi. Rashi says that there's a connection between these two passages that you wouldn't think exists. And he explains it. It's as if God is saying to the farmer, if you don't take your tithes properly, if you don't give charity from your crops, you're going to force me to boil your wheat in the belly of its mother. Why? Because when your wheat is about to ripen, I'm going to bring an east wind and destroy it. Now, first of all, that analogy seems forced. Wheat stalks do not have parents. And second, it sounds like God is being vindictive, if we can say that. If the farmer needs to learn a lesson, let God say, you didn't give charity from your crop, so next year your crop's not going to grow. Why does God have to wait until the crop is growing beautifully and about to ripen and then destroy it? The answer, perhaps, is this. When the farmer failed to give charity properly, that wasn't just an infraction between him and God because he didn't listen to God's laws. There were poor people in the neighborhood. There was a Kohen nearby. There was a Levy nearby. And they were watching that farmer's beautiful crop grow. And they had an expectancy because they knew that the farmer had an obligation to give some to them. And then the farmer dashed their hopes because he didn't give them anything. And so maybe God wants the farmer to really learn that lesson not just get a consequence, but to go through what those other people went through. So God lets his crop grow. And then when it's about to ripen, when he's got all this expectancy, he's already counting the profits he's gonna make from selling his crop, that's when God destroys it. So that hopefully the farmer will internalize the lesson, realize how he dashed the hopes of others when he gets his own hopes dashed. And it's a lesson to the farmer and it's a lesson to us. Not 
to ever create unjustified expectations, especially when people rely on us. We shouldn't lead people on. Instead, we should under-promise and over-deliver. When someone needs us, when they rely on us, they need to know that they can count on us. We have to fulfill our obligations.
Friday morning era of Shabbos will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Elul coming up Thursday and Friday of next week. Mayor Furtick, first of all, I thank him for uh, hosting yesterday, and he'll be here next Friday, and he'll uh, initiate our Elul show for Blowing Please God. Early Shabbos band had the uh, Yussis selection before that here at JM in the AM. 
Uh, Mark Zamek, Mazal Tov to you and our friends at Kedem. Kedem presents the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, 10 a.m. Eastern time this morning, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. 300th episode of the Arab Shabbos show, which is pretty amazing. And again, uh, those of you who are 24-6 subscribers, it is uh, available on that platform as well. Uh, so we are spreading the word about the Arab Shabbos show and spreading the show uh, around town as well, uh, or around the globe, I should say, as well. Um, so the Erev Shabbos show uh, happens at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Erev Shabbos music mix also brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem uh, all day long. And, of course, the final hour about 6.30 p.m. Eastern time tonight, uh, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Avrami with uh, Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Ariel Yezers Wickler. On Sunday, it's Matis and JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Monday, we're back here. Big week next week. We'll head to Israel with Nefesh Benefesh. And on Wednesday morning, you'll hear the three-hour broadcast from the plane. As crazy as that sounds, <laughs> broadcasting from the plane and bringing you great stories of people making Aliyah. Hopefully, it'll inspire all of us to get to Israel on a permanent basis as quickly as possible. After all, that's the goal. JM in the AM, good morning, everybody. Don't forget, coming up at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, it's Malcolm Honeline, weekly update. We haven't done that in a while. He'll join us coming up again, seven, excuse me, yeah, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time right here at JM in the AM. Earlier this week, we spoke with Maisha Silk, who's responsible as general editor, overseer, quarterback of the Kedushas Levy Project, the classic work by the Hasidic master by Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. It's now translated. It's elucidated. Again, this was uh, led by Maisha Silk. We spoke with him earlier this week, and he had an incredible team of scholars doing all of this, the translation, the elucidation, etc. And now... Uh, starting Monday, this set, the entire set, Braces Through Dvarim, is available to the public. All you got to do is go to artscroll.com. You want to order Kedushas Levy. That's what it's called, Kedushas Levy. It is for all levels. As you'll hear it in the interview if you go to our archives. It's for all levels, all different levels of scholarship, all different levels of academia, of background, religious background, etc., etc. Uh, yeah, very similar to us, right? Some people utilize our show and our network as a uh, as an accompaniment to uh, their daily Jewish life and some people for them it's their only connection to Judaism anyway I I, I digress uh, Kedushas Levy it's really for everybody as we described earlier in the week go to artscroll.com make sure to use promo code radio again go to artscroll.com make sure to use promo code radio when you do free shipping nice discount all available um, to you Again, by using promo code radio at artscroll.com. And Mazal Tov to Maisha Silk and everybody at Artscroll and the brand new Kedushas Levy. More coming up. It's a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. Sunny 
Jesus,
J.M. and the A.M. Before this, Nigun, it was Sandy Shmueli with Va'at Alit, Misha Asa, done by Shalshelis, Michal Brzezinski with Chaverim. All, of course, songs from the, um, or those two, rather, songs from our Benching Rosh Chodesh liturgy, Birkata Chodesh, as we get set for Chodesh Elul, hard to believe. Really hard to believe. I mean, uh, Malcolm and I, a moment ago, off the air, were talking about Yom Kippur, and I'm like, wow, this is, it's like six weeks away, and Woo! What a time of year for the Jewish people. Um, anyway, so that's the story. It's um, time to bench Rosh Chodesh. Elul Rosh Chodesh will be Thursday and Friday, and um, we'll be well. We're going to start our Elul Chesed campaign almost immediately. Uh, probably on Monday after uh, Rosh Chodesh Elul. Candle lighting at seven thirty nine in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. I want to give a shout-out to our friends at jewishworldreview.com. Those of you who are looking for thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to read over Shabbos, here's our recommendation. Hook up your laptop to a printer, go to jewishworldreview.com, and print out thousands of articles that will help educate you and will help uh, get you up to date on what's happening in Israel and the Jewish world. Go to jewishworldreview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is, is Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays, seven forty a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you, as always. Good to be with you. I appreciate that. So the Iranians are uh, are pretty good when it comes to ransom. They're 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 capable of making a really good deal when they've got. Uh, something or someone that the United States wants back. What could you tell us about the uh, headline this morning regarding the Iranian hostages negotiated, hopefully soon, back to the U.S. by the Americans? I think it's an invitation to them to continue to do what they've done, which is to level accusations against Americans whom they then arrest, hold hostage, trade for huge amounts of money, and perhaps for the release of the, some people here in the United States that the United States is holding. It's a terrible precedent to give them $6 billion or $5 billion or a billion dollars at this time is a tragic error because the money is going to, going to go into supporting the network of 10 terrorist operations they have from the Houthis, the Hezbollah, the Hamas, and et cetera. Their activities in in Africa that is getting that are increasingly exposed in, exposed in South America. It is not going to go to the benefit of the people, and we can say that we're going to devote it to they're going to devote it to humanitarian efforts. We've seen in the past that money is fungible. They so they take the money out of some other account. No accounts serving the people. Not dealing with the drought. Uh, the demonstrations in Iran are continuing. They flagrantly violate all of their commitments. We saw this week where they showcased uh, new ballistic missiles, all in violation of the restrictions, which, by the way, end this October. So we're, we're only seeing the introduction to what they are, are, are doing. 
I think that anything that that reinforces this, it sends a bad message to the people who still demonstrate. We're coming up to the one year anniversary of Amin's execution, you know, that led to the women's demonstrations. Right. They, they will, you know, this is such a, a, a bad message on every account that we should not be making deals with the terrorists we've learned in the past. That was a mistake. We sent them, you know, pallets of money before, but this could be much bigger. And, and there's more money still being held by Korea, uh, let alone the money in the IMF, about $10 billion. And we could see in the end, you know, up to $20 billion held in, in foreign accounts, uh, frozen by sanctions, being released when they have done nothing to earn it, when they have just continued all of their nefarious activities, quite the opposite, arming Hezbollah to a much greater degree and Hamas sending more and more sophisticated equipment. I mean, this is, to me, it's it's a, a wrong decision. And I know there's a lot of things that have gone on in the last two weeks, so we have a lot to get to, but I just, and obviously this is a big story because there's a bigger picture here. And I know you just addressed it, but I, I just want you to react, you know, specifically on this point. When you see a headline that describes this deal done by the Americans with the Iranians, with this, with the with the money that's been assigned, uh, the money that's ready to be, you know, the ransom money that's about to be handed over, that it that it's been earmarked specifically for humanitarian purposes. H- how can one not laugh at? And it can't only be me and you who understand the absurdity of that. Doesn't Washington get that? Or, it, it, there's one piece to this whether they should be negotiating at all. You just made that point, but humanitarian purposes are who are they kidding? My point is that that. Uh, you, you, there's no way we can truly monitor what they spend inside Iran. Iran has a drought. We've discussed it. Half the country is a drought. Big cities, the, the spigots have run dry. Nothing is being invested in that. But in the meantime, they put all this money into their navy. They're they're building these mini subs. They're building um, new ballistic missiles. They're advancing their nuclear program. And you know that there was a statistic that came out. And again, of course, it won't get much attention, but. The, according to to um, one of the the, uh, the Iran Migration Observatory, that the brain drain in Iran that 67 percent of the people in Iran's high tech industry are in the process of leaving, of immigrating, and 60 percent of those who have immigrated, which is a lot, will not return. It have no intention of going back. So that's an indicator of what's happening. Let alone the continued. The, the fact that this year they're going to break the record for the number of executions. Where's all the human rights concerned? Where are all yeah. the other things that we see the criticism, including against Israel, when we're, we're turning a blind eye to their violations? And they're and they're able to get out because they're leaving on the condition that they are coming back, or or, or no, people can leave Iran. Oh, they Jews can, can leave, too, but they don't. Um, and the other piece to this, and I'm just curious, again, this is not really about today, but I, I just want your perspective for a moment. Uh, there are many of us, you know, who've lived long enough have seen Israel, for instance, change their attitude toward negotiations when it comes to, you know, episodes like this. We can, you know, point to different things and how Israel handled things 40 years ago, how they handled it 20 years ago. There's, there's been a shift in the attitude toward I'm never negotiating with terrorists, never negotiating with a rogue nation. Does the U.S. have a history like that? Like, is, is this something that would have happened 40 years ago? They've also drifted in this direction. Yeah, it's very likely. Look, we do have a, a principle of wanting to bring home every American, uh, certainly true. But here you have uh, people who, who were there voluntarily and uh, they may be well be innocent, in which case we should be working to get their release. Right. 
But I, I think there's other leverage points. Iran needs this now. And, you know, they think they're riding high because they, they have the relationship with China, Russia now. Where they're talking about new alliances of Korea, Russia, China, uh, and Iran signing defense pacts, doing other things. I mean, all of these things are not signs that they have become better. We know that from the negotiations on the Iran deal, that all they do is take advantage of, of America. And, you know, I said on your show uh, many years ago, I called them bazaaris and that they're brilliant negotiators. It's a compliment. It's not an insult because right. that's what they call themselves. And the Americans don't can't can't match them when it comes to the negotiation. John Kerry couldn't. We ended up in the raw deal with the JCPOA and, and, and look at the outcome. Well, I'm glad you just brought that up. Now with the JCPOA, the mainstream media is taking this episode and saying, okay, now this is going to lead to a much smoother road to a real deal between the U.S. and Iran or the you know all the countries in Iran uh, in terms of an Iran nuclear deal. I mean, is there any truth to that at all? There's no evidence of it. Quite the opposite. The major negotiator is not even there anymore, Rob Malley, uh, which is probably an improvement. But the the um, the, the United States keeps saying there's no backdoor negotiations on this. There were talks going on all along, and I reported on it about prisoners and about about the, the hostages. I think they should be called. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, in the meantime, look at their actions. How they harassed the shipping in, and now we're we're putting Marines on boats going into the Straits of Hormuz, and we are increasing our our military presence, especially naval uh, and air in in the Gulf. Why? Because of the Iranian threat, because of their hostile actions. So they they have not demonstrated any real goodwill. They're sending selling the drones to to the to the Russians to fight the, to bomb in Ukraine. That, that Bolivia is now buying it. Others are buying their drones. They're they're active in South America against American interests, the vital American interests in our backyard. There's no sign that they're prepared and they're not dealing with the IEA in good faith, the International Atomic Energy Agency. And so, you know, it's it's there's no indication whatsoever that, that to give us faith that they're going to be using the money or they're going to change their course of action. By the way, there are some people fascinated by prison conditions around the world. Did you see the descriptions of a prison in Iran? I have seen it from, and I've talked to people who were prisoners in Evian, which is the worst of them, which is where these people were being held. It's horrific. Unbelievable. Also, I don't even know if you saw this story. I may have lucked out that I just logged on a couple of minutes before we uh, started speaking, but there's an Iranian who's been arrested in Israel, a Jew, an Iranian Jew who's just been arrested in Israel for spying for Iran. I mean, that's pretty scary. That I mean, I don't know, maybe they threatened him, maybe they threatened him or his family's life, and he had to go you know, to Israel and, and, and bring them some information about security. That's what the first small article about the episode says. I mean, uh, is, yeah. it, is it possible there's a significant number of Jews in Iran who are acting as spies and giving them information about Israel? It, it, and first of all, it's a big leap from one person being arrested to saying there's significant numbers. Right. Number two, they, they obviously had the information on this guy because he never even got into the country. He, he was sent back on a plane to Iran. And he admitted that that he was recruited for this purpose. And that's part of the problem of the Jews who chose to remain, that all of them be, not only can be potential hostages, but also can be held to to engage in these kind of activities because they can hold members of their family. I mean, they have no humanitarian limits. They have no uh, considerations. And, you know, it's very unfortunate that we have a, a, a community that is hostage 
Uh, I understand that their commitments and it, uh, the institutions continue to function. Uh, I don't uh, wonder what will happen to this person when he gets back. And what and what did the Israelis do with his with his relatives who live in Israel? No, nothing. They, there's no uh, so far. There's no indication that anybody else was involved. He was supposed to get specific information. He's not a high level spy, you know, who's a, a technician who's going to go and <coughs> check out nuclear sites or stuff. I think it's much more routine, but information will will come out as uh, you know as the days go on. Also, I mean, anything, any information that someone like that could uh, transfer over to Iranian authorities. I mean, at this point in 2023, doesn't Iran have the same capabilities that other countries have to spy on countries via satellite and to you know really get the get the lay of the land, so to speak? You know, w- with means that do not necessitate you know uh, deploying spies to go to a different country. There's no replacement, really, uh, for the ability to have on-the-ground observation. It's true, satellites, if they're very refined, as Israel's are, and they can monitor a lot of stuff, but also their operations inside Iran required people on the ground. You couldn't do that remotely, even if you can have remote guns that could fire and and the people can be uh, a distance away. But the bottom line is that you need uh, on the ground observation. That's part of the reason when everybody says, you know, Israeli troops should pull out of all the areas in the West Bank. They need that human intelligence. They right. need that contact and that presence there to be able to evaluate and properly respond to, to the terrorists. They don't operate by any rules. Yeah. And um, Iran's uh, satellite capacity is more limited, although they, they have tried to put some up and uh, claim, and, they, and I think they failed in most cases. Um, all right. Uh, one of the uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, tell me if my perspective on this is right or not. It seems that in recent days, there is a closer and closer shot of getting to a real U.S. Saudi Arabia Israel alliance or whatever you want to call it. Use whatever word you want. Yet, at the same time, it seems, Washington wants to project an image that it's not imminent. Are those two things coexisting the way I see it? I do think that the administration wants to deal very badly. I do think that uh, they would like to see something with Israel as well. Uh, and one of the reasons is because a deal with Saudi Arabia will not sit well with many members of Congress, especially Republicans. But if there is an Israeli component, something that really impacts Israel's security in significant ways and standing, it would become much more attractive to many of them to support it. As you know, since 9-11 and and even before, perhaps and even after, uh, you know, relationships with Saudi Arabia, uh, not only because of Khashoggi and other human rights thing and their flirtations with China, the the reestablishment of embassies in, with Iran, uh, many and, uh, and other things as well. We we acknowledge the fact that Saudi Arabia has moved ahead. We we've talked about the fact that their textbooks have removed the negative references to Jews, which is a huge move uh, ordered by MBS himself. That the uh, negative references and the uh, and uh, even Holocaust uh, acknowledge remembrance things have have changed. But the um, you know the, the, they face also their internal pressures and some of the events in the region and and in Israel have uh, mitigated against it and the the general anger is directed at the United States 
because they feel that they have withdrawn from the region. They have not been responsive to the needs, neither UAE, Saudi Arabia, others. Uh, and you can have coexisting all of the things you mentioned. They're not contradictory. The United States has been in discussion with them. They, the, the demands that they're making include a civilian nuclear program, which many in Israel have, have said is impossible because the civilian program becomes a military program, which will then ignite the arm, the nuclear race with Egypt, Turkey, others all wanting to get nuclear uh, capacity and understanding nobody wants to be the last to have it because you become then a victim. Mm. Uh, so they, they want that. They want a defense pact, which I do think is possible. I do want to see U.S.-Saudi relationships warmed up and reestablished. Saudi Arabia is a key player. Uh, we need them to lower the price of, of oil and they, they can do it by increasing production. They work with the Russians on this to increase the price and to see the, the various uh, things. It, it depends on what kind of negotiations are going on and they can uh, find some sort of a middle path to, to advance it. Uh, am I right that they're downplaying it? Am I right that they're like trying their hardest to convince people that it's not going as quickly as it really is? That the Saudis or the U.S.? No, Washington. Washington doesn't want, uh, I think, to raise the expectations, and it's their right, because then you only lead to disappointment and right. criticism. It's, so, just, it's just so I, funny. It's so funny. You can't. But, but also, there's another factor in that, and that is that people have to understand how to deal. I've dealt with the Saudis for 35 years. You don't read about it. The reason that they continue to deal with me, and we've done some great things when the book comes out, we'll, we'll tell it. Um, because I never leak, I never talk about it in public. And I told this to Israeli leaders and American leaders, if you want to deal with, you want to make a deal with them, stop talking about it. We keep raising the price. Every time we talk about it and make it more important, they will just raise the price and, and demands as always true. In but, it, but it's so funny. It's the exact opposite of how they deal with Iran. Whether, we, whether you like the deal or not, every step of the way, Washington is telling you what's happening in the process of making a deal with Iran. It, it, it sounds like you don't. We, you don't know what they're really revealing about what's happening, what's not happening about the backdoor negotiations, the things that failed, the steps that are still underway. Um, there are a lot of other reports about, you know, wh why, why are we allowing them to export the, the uh, violate the oil embargoes that, they, that they're making $6 billion a year from oil? They, they had $4 billion in foreign currency reserves in 2020. Today they have $43 billion because we're not enforcing stuff. So you can't say that because of what you see is really what, all the stuff that's going on and what we're doing and not doing. Yeah, I hear that. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world web and AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. We will get to Memphis, everybody. Yes, I know. I'm being bombarded with reminders about the Memphis shooting. We are going to get to it. Um, but before we leave the Middle East... What can you tell us? I assume it was around 10 days ago. I don't remember exactly you know, where in these two weeks it was, but the, there were rocket strikes from the Golan toward Damascus uh, that obviously I am assuming it's either assumed was Israel or Israel actually took responsibility for. What's the story with, uh, uh, with, with that attack in northeastern Israel? From northeastern Israel or to northeastern Israel? No, from, because I didn't even, it's funny. In, in what I saw, there, I there don't. There were attacks, you know, attempts from Lebanon to Israel. They fell short. 
fortunately, there are constant efforts to try and penetrate the borders, and they and the Iranians are continuing to ship more and more sophisticated equipment via Syria to uh, uh, Israel. This was an attack on a very critical location near the airport where uh, store they store some of the equipment that the Russian that the Iranians are sending in. Uh, they were very uh, targeted hits and hit some key people uh, as well. The, the Syrians claimed that some of their soldiers uh, were were uh, also uh, hurt in the incident. But Israel is doing things to to both strike at the, at the um, sources of uh, launches or known movements of of weapons. Because if those things get established inside Lebanon and inside Syria and or into Lebanon, you can't remove it. That's why. Hezbollah can play so so as the game that is playing, and we didn't even scratch the surface at Lebanon of the internal disruptions there. Hamas, the Hezbollah killing Christians, and the fight within between Palestinians and in Halua in the in the refugee camp, uh, so called, and the uh, I mean the, the events there of a, in a failed state that's in total collapse. And uh, Hezbollah, despite the agreement with Israel, which was supposed to calm things down and giving them the rights to 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 um, explore their gas, uh, offshore gas things, they're not doing it because uh, and care about the benefit of the people. They just want to stop Israel and they want to use their resources and they're escalating it in part because they read the divisions in Israel as weakening Israel. They read that soldiers not going to report, and Nasrallah believes it, and he he acts on his perception of things. So the strikes in, in Syria are going on on a regular basis, but we we see the troops that have been brought up by Hezbollah of the terrorists that they brought to the border. They do provocative actions, including marching in violation of the UN agreements along the border of Israel with weapons. They, they uh, put up the tent, which Israel still hasn't taken down. And I think a lot of people speculated it's a mistake that they should have taken them both down right away. That once you let it, you send a message of weakness, if you if you don't draw the line, but Israel will say, look, it's not worth it over that. It's not a threat, uh, but it is a violation of their of the agreement. They didn't cross the the second boundary into the border into Israel, but they have made attempts to. And you know, they had a guy who got in with a an IED which exploded in inside Israel uh, a couple of months ago. So that there is constant escalation that's going on. And again, it doesn't get much attention. We try to to put the information out about what, what's really happening in Lebanon. There's a lot of expectation that we're headed to a war there. This is probably the highest uh, level of alert that we've seen in a long time uh, along the border and, and inside Lebanon, where, as you see, the, the, yeah, every faction is fighting every other faction. And I don't, you know, just going back to the beginning of this piece, I, I don't know if the article, and I'm, I'm trying to find it, I can't find it this second, maybe 10 days ago, I don't even know if the article spoke about the provocation. I don't even know if they, you know, laid it out the way you just did in terms of what's going on from Syria and Lebanon against Israel. I think it was just painted as a, uh, I don't want to say independent of anything else, but, you know, as a rocket strike from Gaza to Damascus that, you know, hit some prime targets. Now, again, I don't have it in front of me, and I don't want to blame everything on the mainstream, you know, print and the digital media, but still... I don't think it, I don't I don't think it delved into you know why Israel would behave this way the way you just did, and and we have to remember also that the puppeteer pulling the strings is Iran on Hezbollah. They can't do this independently. 
whether Iran wants an all-out war, they want to tweak it, they want to have a limited confrontation. You know, every house in southern Lebanon has a rocket room, like a dining room, a living room, and a rocket room. There are 150,000, maybe much more today, uh, rockets uh, aimed at Israel from Lebanon, far greater than exists. The people of Lebanon do not want another war. And that's why you see the comments that will by Israel's defense minister, Gallant, that they will bomb him back into the Stone Age, right. all the rest, because they're trying to send a message that we take this seriously, we're capable. Don't read the demonstrations, the divisions, that we will be united if, if there is, God forbid, a, a escalated war. They continue to dig the tunnels. They continue all the kinds of provocations that you can imagine, and attempts to penetrate. They want an incident. They want to be able to take hostages. They want to hit some of the communities along the northern border, all of which are on high alert right now. And, you know, whether it's at Sheba Farms or any of the other locations, we've seen an escalation of incidents. And the UN troops sit there and, you know, don't even bother to come out. They're busy playing cards. Uh, and they uh, have not fulfilled it. And all the violations of 1710, UN resolution on uh, that, uh, after the Lebanon war are, are not being adhered to. Did you see the run on cash in Lebanon? First of all, there's very little cash. The currency is almost worthless. The foreign reserves are all the way down. There's hardly any productive activity. Tourism did shoot up in recent years, but now again will be much less. And and uh, and where are all the protests about the killing of Christians in 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 the camp by by Hezbollah? Where are all the protests about the violence that's going on there? That uh, you know are, is taking lives and further destabilizing. That you know they couldn't find a president. They can't fill the jobs because nobody wants it. And the uh, internal divisions remain very great. And Hezbollah is taking advantage of it. Uh, all right, let's move to the diaspora. Uh, two stories from the United States. I don't know if you want to address them together. I think they're something, you know, in certain ways, obviously they're related. One was, I don't know if, if we can call it shocking. You could tell us, you know, what the expectations were. Uh, but they actually came back with a decision on the uh, Pittsburgh, um, uh, uh, Pittsburgh synagogue um, a terrorist attack of the death penalty. They're giving him the death penalty, or at least that's where the stage is right now. Obviously, I would assume it's being appealed uh, for the 11 people that he uh, murdered on that uh, Shabbos morning. At the same time, you know, every parent's worst nightmare uh, because we, we pray that none of our schools, uh, I mean, nobody's school, we, we pray that every school in the United States and everywhere stays safe, obviously. But it's a nightmare considering that something could happen at a, a yeshiva or a day school. And in Memphis, I mean, you'll tell us the details. I don't know if the authorities got lucky. I don't know if... Uh, uh, you know, it was a circumstance where literally someone jumped to make sure that this guy couldn't get into the building. Uh, but it was a very uh, scary episode in retrospect. What could you tell us about these two situations? Uh, well, clearly not related, but they are indicative of the incredible increase. And it's something, you know, we've warned about on the show. And I know people didn't like it. And a lot of people say it's too down about the increase in anti-Semitism, which continues to rise and the level of threat increases uh, as well. The Memphis case is a different one. It is unique. It was a Jewish guy. It was like somebody who went to that school. He, he's obviously a, a, a mental case in, in many respects, or uh, that doesn't dismiss what he was going to do because he was functioning within the community. Uh, he went there with a gun, intending to do some damage, it appears, and the building was locked because they had had training 
from the security operations, secure community network, working with the Federation as we are all over the country. It's remarkable in every school and everybody who's listening, who is a parent of a child in school, if their schools have not taken advantage of the services that are available from the secure community network, through the Federation, through other few local communities, through CSI, through all of the other groups, uh, CSS, that, that are providing services and training, because when you're facing the incident, it's too late. If people don't know that the doors have to be self-locking and, and that you prevent the entry of this guy, and then he tried to get into another door, and uh, and the only thing going on inside was construction, and the construction manager walked out, and he, you know, he didn't want to confront him, but then he walked around the front and started firing. Then he drove away, and as you know, he was killed in a shootout. Uh, so I think it's a different kind of case, um, but indicative of the violence that we're seeing, and I'm telling you, the number of cases that are coming of incidents involving Jews being subjected to uh, in public transportation, walking on a street in public locations uh, is is uh, unbelievable. And we, we see the severity increasing and the, uh, the need for communities to be more alert for people to take uh, simple steps like putting cameras outside your houses so at least there's a record. Uh, of, of people who are attempting to do things or invading the communities. Uh, it's very important. The second, uh, uh, so that was the Memphis case, was a, a unique circumstance and complicated uh, in, in the decision in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, at a time when the death penalty is not very popular is uh, is remarkable. I think it's, it's a reflection of how horrific this was how in, in the intent, there's no remorse on this guy's part. There's, there's, uh, I mean, his, the planning, his uh, Nazi-like uh, 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 involvement, uh, that a jury reached a decision pretty quickly. And so it, it wasn't a snap decision that all of a sudden they say, well, we'll send the message and then let him off. We'll see whether it's actually carried out. But the fact that I think it's a very important message to send at a time when Jewish communities and some others are under constant threat. And we are are seeing it in there's every part of the country, what's happening in the campuses, which we can devote many hours to uh, telling the story, what's happening o o online, what's happening in in uh, just in every venue. And now we're hearing much more, not from the students on campus alone, but from professors who are being threatened. And we know the four university professors in New York who are being investigated. And uh, and yet the, the the speaker at the graduation of the law school, the community can get away staying with what they what she said. And and had the history. It's not just one incident with her. So they know what they were. Who, the students elected her, and they knew it. And and the, the administration had to know what to, to expect or should have known what to expect from it. So, uh, I I'm, I'm very much appreciate um, everything you said about both the situations, uh, but boy, you, you, you emphasize an even more important point. Uh, if we're not going to consider the Memphis attack anti-Semitic, which I totally get, obviously the, the, the percentage of these school shootings around this country that are perpetrated by former students, and, and unless I'm just you know thinking of specific ones, uh, I, I think the percentage is pretty high. So the the groups of people, frankly, who who get this notion or you know are mentally unstable and therefore you know they get onto this track of wanting to go into a school and do this, 
you know, it's, it's, there are multiple groups of people that uh, that one can turn to or one can um, uh, one can cite. You know, are responsible for these types of episodes. So, to when you say step up security, especially as the school year begins, you know, you really have to have to consider it's not just the anti semites that are. Uh, uh, that are out there that that may want to do damage and, and and cause chaos and havoc, but it's uh, you know there are other groups of people as well. So we yeah, can't... I say that that's a minority. That's a real minority of the cases. The bulk of the cases, uh, and and look at the report this week coming from the, the most unlikely source, the New York Times, which indicates that Code Pink, which is this violently anti-Israel uh, organization, uh, is being funded by China. What we know is China is behind Code Pink and funding it. And, and we know that the that Iran is funding groups here. We know that um, uh, other anti-Semitic elements are, are being funded, aided, abetted by the by Arabs, by uh, countries like Qatar have poured hundreds of billions into the United States in businesses, in on campus, on uh, other places, hostile atmospheres. Uh, creating and in, in, in taking over the Near East Studies departments, which has been going on for decades. But we're seeing it really manifest now where faculty are coming to us and begging for help and support. And we have to do much more and we need money to file lawsuits against universities. We are we are have there's NCRI, which is doing amazing work exposing what's being done and, and uh, online and how we manipulate the major f- form of communication today for young people is being has been taken over and is is being used in in very dangerous ways they, they monitored 100 million tweets between 2022 they presented it in the Knesset last week and they showed that Israel is accused of violation of human rights or mentioned in regard to human rights 58 times more than Russia <laughs> 38 times more than Iran and, and not only that but the uh, the level, the, host, the level of hostility and the encouragement of, of violence that Tlaib can talk about, Congresswoman Tlaib can talk about the destruction of Israel, that and people are getting away with it. The level of tolerance keeps rising. And this is the lesson, lesson from its right, that it's us. It's what we will tolerate. We have to say no more. And we're not going to accept it. We're not going to allow it. And we are doing much more. There are a lot of campaigns. We're spending well into the nine figures on it. But a lot of it, is not impactful. I mean, you can't eradicate, I believe, anti-Semitism, hatred. You can't eradicate, but you can force it back under the rocks. You can't get young people to understand what uh, what what this is and, and that it not become so fashionable and acceptable. And especially in minority communities, we see it. We see it in extreme left, extreme right. Everybody says, oh, it's that side, it's that side. No, it's all sides. And uh, and coming in, in Muslim communities and sources and uh, as we see in the black community, black entertainers who reach tens of millions of people with the message and they can apologize later, but the damage is done. Um, do you have any details on how they prevented the terror attack at the Mumbai Chabad house? Good intelligence. Simple and, as and, and they, they found out later because they found the pictures of Chabad, of the rabbi of the house in, in uh, I guess, on the phone or the uh, on the sky who, who was... Uh, planning to carry out a terrorist outrage. And your reaction to the Michigan State Senator Santana, who's apologized for the visit to Israel. So if anybody, it's it's a state senator. Right, state senator. Yeah, I just want to make sure people know, not a U.S. senator, but 
But it's not impossible for a U.S. senator to have done this thing. And I, and I have to say, I think we compliment Jeffrey made amazing statements there as the Democrat leader. And he was there with Steny Hoyer, who uh, stepped down as leader, but is a great friend. And there were Republican de the delegations. The fact that you can have bipartisan uh, groups going to Israel uh, is very important. Uh, and there are courageous voices, Richard Torres's uh, op-eds, and, and uh, I don't want to go through everybody who's done right. it, but you, those people have to be thanked. They have to be supported. They have to be shown not just going after the, the, uh, the bad guys, but when a woman, uh, when a state senator feels so pressured by her community, she has to apologize for going to Israel. If, if, if you need an indicator, and, and of course, in you know, Michigan, you have large Arab populations, the Muslim populations that uh, are very active. People don't know. This is, a lot of it is below the radar, but it's not so isolated where others have been intimidated, including from New York, or, or have publicly said they won't go to Israel. Yeah. Interesting times we're living in, to say the least. Absolutely. And that's why we need to be unified. Oh, why we oh. can't afford divisions and, and the separations that are taking place and the, the, the message that it sends to our enemies. Malcolm. You know, whatever differences exist, unity is still more important. Malcolm, those listening from other parts of the world outside of New York and New Jersey may not be as familiar with this, but I have to mention this before you go. Um, last Friday, as this influencer gathered two, 3,000 people immediately within minutes at Union Square on in a very, very popular area of Manhattan, folks, if you're not familiar with Union Square. Uh, and, of course, they started, to, they got together, and they thought they were getting uh, some free game that was supposedly going to be given away. And, of course, it turned into a riot uh, with windows being shattered, people being injured, property being damaged, uh, firecrackers being thrown at police, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I said to myself, and I know sometimes you and I differ on, on how dramatic the, uh, we should present these things. But I said to myself, my God, we are now in an era in 2023 where somebody on Twitter who's popular can get on their social media outlet and tell people, let's gather together in this specific area, i.e., I don't know, this Jewish neighborhood, and have some fun and smash some car windows and, and harass the people and do this. Or maybe they'll even say that they're giving out free stuff at one of the Jewish stores, and there'll be a riot when the free stuff isn't given away when thousands show up. We are living in a precarious time, and now all of these things, as we saw last Friday in New York, can happen within minutes. And look how they attack the police. And I think people are so free with criticism of the police when they understand what they were up against. And were, maybe perhaps they weren't prepared because they could not have anticipated uh, this. Uh, I, and, and this was not directed at a Jewish community. There was no Jewish overtones to this at all. It was this influencer. But you see the power of these influencers, names that 99% of the people of our listeners wouldn't even know. And, and I experienced this uh, working with uh, people who, who were in the business and we were trying to take them to Israel and trying to, to at least reach them to make sure that the, their hostile message or anti-Semitic messages would not, you know, that they would be aware of it and be sensitive to it. And th there's a whole subculture that we don't even understand, let alone the ability for them to ignite audience and, and did not want to have a riot. It wasn't his intention. But they started, they attacked the police cars. They start throwing bottles at, at police officers, that there's no respect for law and order. In New York City, in the, in the heart of Manhattan, 
should be a, a, a warning to all of us. And not that I agree with you, it should not be dismissed. Again, not because it was targeting Jews. It was not. It was nothing to do directly with us. But what, what is happening within our society and the tolerance and the, the lack of respect for, for law and order. And, and frankly, we have to do much more instead of rewarding people who engage in these kind of activities. There has to be real punishment. And Frank, and I know people are very sensitive on the issue of immigration, but we don't know who's coming into the United States. We know that people are, are coming not just from South America, but from all over the world. And it's an easy way to penetrate the country. And it's an easy way to pose dangers. Most immigrants are not going to be criminals. and, and that. But we're dealing with nefarious enemies who will take advantage of every opportunity and any loophole. So we have to be super sensitive and careful, and, and America should be, uh, you know, dealing with it, uh, the situation in its borders much more, at, on its borders, in a much more serious way. Well said. Uh, I'm with Nefesh Benefesh next week, so please, God, we'll reconvene two weeks from today. Have a wonderful Shabbos and, uh, and a good Chodesh. Good Chodesh to everybody in the beginning of a good year. I'm sure things will be, will be better. We have to work together. We have to work with our elected officials. Democrats and Republicans, this is not a time for partisanship. It's a time when we have to unite, get people registered to vote so they can vote this year. I think it's still time for November and for next November and for uh, and to be involved. It's not a time to sit on your hands. And I hope that Rabbanim and others will talk about it and that every shul will take the steps necessary to, for protection. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. As I mentioned, next week we'll be with Nefesh Benefesh in Israel. We'll reconvene with the weekly update two weeks from today. Uh, make sure to be tuned in Wednesday morning between 6 and 9 a.m. when our three-hour broadcast from the plane, from the actual charter flight of Nefesh Benefesh with Olim from North America to Israel uh, when that show airs. Again, it airs 6 a.m., starting at 6 a.m. this coming Wednesday morning here on the Nahum Siegel Network. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Re'eh. Wow. Parshas Re'eh is a very full parsha. According to the Chinuch, it contains 55 mitzvos, 17 positive mitzvos, and 38 restrictions. I'd like, and including in the parsha, at the end of the parsha, you have the Moadim, the, again, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos being told to the people that are about to enter Eretz Yisrael and therefore speaking about the pilgrim festivals, a special reminder to them who are about to implement it. Please, God, that initially, before we had the Besamigdash, in Yerushalayim, the Mishkan was situated, no given, and for 38 years in Shiloh. I'd like to focus, however, on the mitzvah of tzedakah, which is found in 
this week's parsha of Re'eh. According to the Chinuch, in Mitzvah 479, the Chinuch begins his discussion of the Mitzvah of Tzedakah. Lasso Tzedakah imatzorach lecha. One should literally practice and give charity to the one who is in need of it, with happiness and with a pleasant countenance. Now I ask you, somehow I missed it. When the Torah says to put up a mezuzah, when the Torah says to put on tefillin, it doesn't say to put on tefillin in a state of happiness and tuvlevav. However, it does say so regarding the mitzvah of tzedakah. Now, if one actually looks at the psukim themselves, you'll find something fascinating. Take out the chumash, bring it to the table tonight or tomorrow. And what the Torah says in chapter 15, in Parshas A, this week's parsha. In verse 10, the Torah says, number one, Nason titenlo, you shall surely give him. And the double language is not only because the nature of man is, it's one of the hardest exercises to put your hand in your pocket and to give it to somebody else that's asking for it, who's in need. So first of all, the Torah says, Nason titen, you shall surely give him. And let's stop right here for a moment and remind ourselves that it's almost like there's no better word in English but charity. But the term charity, if you look it up in the dictionary, so Webster will tell you it's goodwill toward love of humanity, an act of or feeling of generosity. In simple English, charity is something which is voluntary. You give it on your own, you have a good feeling, etc. Masha Inkate, which is so different by tzedakah, which is an obligation. Correct. It's a mitzvah. The word mitzvah means a command. And the same way that we are obligated to keep kosher, and we are obligated to keep Shabbat, we are obligated to give charity. So going back to that puzzle, chapter 15 in Devarim, Pasuk 10. On the one hand, Lo right? You are, Nason uh, Titein, excuse me, you are to give, and then afterwards, Lo and let your not, let your heart not feel bad when you give him. Don't give him resentfully. But not only should you not show him that you're giving it resentfully, but within yourself, you are not to harbor a resentful feeling. Now, you should know, my friends, that when we announce every week that this, according to the Chinuch, there are, in this week's parsha, 55 mitzvos. The Chinuch followed his Rebbe, the Rambam. 
He never saw the Rambam. He lived a few hundred years later. But he followed the 613 the way the Rambam understood it. The Ramban has a critique of the Rambam and he lists mitzvos that the Rambam forgot, be it positive or negative. And the last one that the Ramban enumerates is this verse here, where the Torah says, that it is nothing less than a biblical prohibition for a person to feel that oy, 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 I'm giving because I have to give, but I am losing out. No, that in itself is usur. It's usur to believe that by giving tzedakah, one is losing out. Whoa. And therefore, as we'll discuss in a minute and show, how can the chinuch say that one is to give tzedakah with Simcha, right, and Tuvlev, the reason for that is because, whoa, the Gemara in Baba Basra 10a has the following conversation. A Roman philosopher called Tunis Rufus, who the Gemara calls him Tunis Rufus Harasha came and asked Rabbi Akiva, if your God loves the poor, why doesn't he take care of them himself? Why does he tell you to do his work? And Rabbi Akiva didn't blink, and he answered, which means that by our giving charity, we are saved from going to H-E-L, and there's another L in that word. Amazing that we think we're doing, quote, the poor a favor, the institution a favor. In reality, it is the biggest favor for us. And therefore, oh yeah, yeah, picture the following scene. There's a knock on the door or the belt rings. And it's never at a convenient time. It's either dinner time or after dinner. And you might even be learning with your child. Whatever. And you send your child to the door. Who is it? And he says, Abba, it's a Meshulach. Someone's collecting. Either for himself or for an institution. So, ouch. The father says, tell them I'm not home. Oi. So first of all, you're teaching your child to lie. But beyond that, who knows if this wasn't the golden opportunity for your best investment the whole day. Meaning, by you helping the next one, whoa, this is in reality, chesed as a boomerang is really coming to help you. And in fact, this is how the Toldos Ara tell you right now. The Toldos Yaakov Yosef, excuse me, understands the puzzle can tell him 
the last pasuk in Tehillim Samach Beis 62, whereby the pasuk says, "Lucha Hashem Chesed." You, Hashem, have kindness. What does that mean? You'll see in a moment. Because you reward the individual according to his actions. Now, how does he understand this puzzle? A person is in need of divine help. However, they're not yet worthy of that divine help. Whatever it is that they're looking for, they're looking for health, they're looking for a shidduch, they're looking for whatever is on their mind, but they themselves are not yet worthy of getting what they're looking for. So what does Hashem do? Hashem creates the opportunity for that person to give someone else who is in need. And as a result of your giving, whoa, in that way, so Hashem chesed, you Hashem create the opportunity for chesed. Wow. And as a result of your fulfilling and living up to it, as a result of your answering the door, as a result of your taking your time out, and not only giving the person, can I offer you a drink? Are you okay? And give him some encouragement. Ah, oh, as a result, ki Hashem tishalem, you pay, you reward le'ish kemaseyu. You created the opportunity for him to do chesed. Don't blow that opportunity. Don't miss out on that opportunity. And so, the Ramban actually learns that if you look at the verse, the verse says two things. And after the Torah says, and this is now, whoa, the Rabbeinu Yonah in Shari Tshuva, in Shari Gimel, paragraph Lamed Hay, the Shari Tshuva says in the following that the order of the Pasuk is so significant. The Pasuk says, on the one hand, you are Nason Titain, you are to give. And that complies with the verse in Mishlei, Proverbs 22 9, Tovayin a person with a good eye, not stingy, generous, he's the one who is blessed. But now, listen carefully to the golden words of the Shari Tshuva. Lodai, bematnas hayad levad. It's not sufficient with what the person gives the charity. Ki'im ashenita binafshosenu. But rather, that which is planted into his soul, mitas hanadivos, the character of generosity. And therefore, after the Torah says, no so to give, then the Torah says there's a prohibition. Don't resent it, don't feel bad. And this can further be understood. Bring out the book of Rus. And go to one of my favorite psukim in Rus in chapter 2, verse 19. When Rus comes back from the field with the gleanings that she has, the um, gifts that the Torah mandates that the field owner is to leave for the poor, and she comes back with two big shopping bags full 
of produce. And a mother of Naomi says, Whoa, where did you go today? Where did you collect? In whose field? And listen to what Ruth answers her mother-in-law. She says, Shame or ish, the name of the man, Asher, Osisi Imo Hayom, the name of the man for whom I did today is Boaz. Now wait a second. Who did for whom? We will all have said who does for whom? Boaz did for Rus. Rus came in empty-handed, and Rus leaves full of produce. At first glance, Rus is the recipient, and Boaz is the one who is giving. No. Listen carefully. Rus says, the name of the man that I did for him, I gave him. I transformed him. I gave him the opportunity to be a giver. Whoa! Now that he, Boaz, is a giver, he is a better person. Stucker transforms the individual. It's not only as the rabbis teach us, Stucker, Tatsil Mimoves, that Stucker, and we don't have to give for any ulterior motives. Just good to keep these ideas in the back of your mind. That you shouldn't think that what you're giving is really yours and you're patting yourself on the back for your giving. You must see the Orachayim HaKadosh in Parshas Mishpatim on the Pasuk in Kesef Talve Esa'oni Esa'oni Imoch that when you give to either lending or give a gift to another Jew. It's not that you are giving of yours to him. Whoa! You have to ask yourself, why did Hashem give you more than you need? And the answer is, he gave you more, because it's really the poor man's. You're giving the poor man what belongs to him. Whoa! Just look at these different insights into tzedakah. Look how beautiful this mitzvah is, not only for the recipient, but our secret, even more for the donor. How proud we are to be a Jew. Shabbat Shalom to all. is the fate of all mankind No one can avoid the bustle and the grind Rushing to meetings Closing the deal On the phone, on the road Buying, selling, spinning wheels It's easy to lose balance Chasing money and success But there's a special treasure With which we have been blessed And as each day passes, joy fills the air Waiting for the moment to stand up and declare Baruch Hashem
For six days every week We work hard and struggle Just to make ends meet But once out of seven We all become kings Who greet Shabbos Amalco By rising up to When I hear the boss, I jump To shop or go to school I'm always parking by a pump But all of the worry Goes down the drain When my wife and children join me In singing very friends Shabbat 
jam in the AM. Baruch Hashem and Shabbos is right. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, that's uh, Journeys volume number five. And Baruch Hashem, we have the Arab Shabbos music mix all day long, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Baruch Hashem, we have the Arab Shabbos show, hosted by Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. That starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And that's an amazing show now celebrating its 300th episode. Mazal Tov to Mark. And Baruch Hashem, we have our final hour at about 6.30 Eastern time tonight, just before Shabbos, for you to go into Shabbos in the best and most amazing way possible. And I thank everybody for listening in from around the world. No matter where you are, there's nothing like uh, our Friday programming uh, really available nowhere else. That's the bottom line. Nowhere else. I can't think of another place. It's Friday morning, JM in the AM, candle lighting at 7.39 on this Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos Parshas Re'e, 7.39 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh Elul tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Elul is Thursday and Friday. Rosh Chodesh Elul is Thursday and Friday, which means Mayor Ferdig next Friday is going to have to implement our chauffeur blowing, which we do starting on the first day of Elul. Again, Rosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday, those who uh, study uh, Talmud each and every day with the Daf Yomi cycle, you have a big Simcha coming up. Maseches Gittin concludes on Monday. Mazal Tov to those finishing Gittin. And Kiddushin begins on Tuesday. Hatzlacharaba, the best of luck to those who are starting uh, Maseches Kiddushin this coming Tuesday. Uh, so lots happening, lots going on. Hard to believe that we're almost at Elul. It really is hard to believe that we're almost at Elul. But we are almost there, and you know what that means. The brand new year will be coming up soon enough, which is pretty amazing. JM and the AM with a reminder that our friends at A&H know how to make a weekend spectacular. You know, you have a great Shabbos, Shabbos Parshas Re'eh, Shabbos Mavorchim. Then Sunday arrives, and you know, it's summer. Sunday arrives, and we're still, you know, we're still in the uh, month of Menachem Av. It's not Elul yet. No one's heading back to Yeshiva that quickly. So you want to put together a beautiful, delicious, and incredible barbecue for everybody in your family and all the friends that you're going to be inviting over. So this Sunday, for instance, is the perfect day to have plenty of A&H in your house. You want A&H knockwurst, A&H hot dogs, and so many different varieties. You want A&H um, um, sausages in your home. Make sure you have plenty of hot dog, bu- hot dog buns. And then when you grill th- everything up on Sunday afternoon, you're going to see a very, very large group of satisfied people. They are just going to love what you are providing regarding uh, their delicious A&H products. That's what it's all about. It's about having good food and enjoying the summer months and having that Sunday barbecue that so many people crave. It's a wonderful way to get together and share some time together with family and friends. And it's all courtesy of A&H because they know what they're doing and they know how to make delicious meat products that are just fantastic. Go to kosherdogs.net, kosherdogs.net. Make sure to use promo code radio for your 10% discount and try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. That is an understatement. More coming up, Eitan Katz, JM in the AM. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Ashore. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Eitan Katz. That's a great song. That is a great Shalom Aleichem. Well, we want to wish a Mazel Tov to Aaron Lichtenstein on the upcoming wedding to Miri Leitner. The Ofruf is this Shabbos, everybody. That's right. We're getting set to celebrate with the Lichtensteins and, of course, the Leitners. And um, Mazel Tov to both families from all of us here at J.M. in the A.M. So Brooklyn and the Lower East Side all celebrating with Aaron and with Miri. Mazal Tov. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys. Going down 
shining through the trees. Another week's gone by, become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Go on home and find a gift that's waiting there for you. Oh, it's time to say good job. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AchimSingle.com and the AchimSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. (laughs) 
wraps up an amazing and incredible edition of JM and the AM. My thanks to uh, Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin. My thanks to Malcolm Holmline. My thanks to all of you. If you don't receive our weekly newsletter or our daily thread, write to Avrami. He will make sure you're put on that list. AF at NahumSiegel.com. Again, AF at NahumSiegel.com. Tomorrow night, it's Avrami. And, of course, Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler with Saturday Night Siegel. On Sunday, it's Matis and JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. I'm here Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday from the flight with Nefesh Benefesh. Thursday, Avrami will be sitting in. And Friday, Mayor Fertig will be sitting in. And my thanks to Mayor Fertig for sitting in yesterday here at JM and the AM. Mazal tov to Mark Zamek. 300 episodes of the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. The next time you could hear it is one hour from now right here on NSN. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Good weekend. A good Chodesh, everybody. Until next time, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.